Blog Talk Radio. Dr. Ross Green, who's traveling today. It's time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. We do this podcast the first Tuesday of the month, September through May, at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. On the podcast, we do our best to help you with your behaviorally challenged child, help you figure out what's going on, and help you figure out some things that are going to work. Our call-in number is 347-994-2981. So if you're listening, give us a call if you have a question, as callers always take precedence. I'm joined today by B-Team parent leader, Jennifer. How are you? I'm good, Kim. I'll apologize in advance. I'm outside right now with my behaviorally challenging dog (laughs) who refuses to come in (laughs) out of the sun. (laughs) So if you start to bark, I apologize in advance. Uh, But he thinks it's a beautiful day and we should be outside. Well, I mean, I can't blame him because um, you're not too far from where I am. We're both in the northeast U.S. and we're having a touch of spring, and I think yes. everybody's got some spring fever today. So, absolutely, <laughs> I don't either. It's quite nice out here. I, I said he gave me a reason to be out and breathing in some fresh air. <laughs> nice, very, very nice. <laughs> um. So we don't have any callers just yet, and I think Stella's going to hop on when she can. She's another B-team parent leader and a phenomenal volunteer with Lives in the Balance. Um, but before we look at emails, and there's a number of them, I didn't know if you had anything you wanted to bring up today. Um, I just wanted to open that up to you. Um, the only thing that that has been sort of on my mind because last week was vacation week for, or two weeks ago was vacation week around my part of the world. Um, And I think that then New Hampshire went into vacation week the next week. So around here, a lot of schools have been, have been out. Um, And I have a good friend and fellow B team member who is away this week with her kids and uh, she messaged me yesterday and said, oh, why did we go on vacation? <laughs> and I yeah. think that for a lot of us, um, pa- parenting on vacation, I said, is, is often a lot of same stuff, fewer resources. So I've, I've had vacations on my mind and why they're hard for our kids and what we can do about them and, and how we can try to make them easier. Uh, and my I feeling think that's that a phenomenal is, topic. Yeah. So, I think that I think so we I, should take that on, but I am going to welcome <laughs> Stella to the program and then we'll dive in. Okay. Cause I Great. believe this is Stella. So Stella. This is. Good morning. <laughs> Yay. Hi, Stella. Welcome. Hi, I was late leaving uh, my classroom, so sorry for the tardy entrance. Oh, no, no worries at all. We're just happy to have you. How are you doing? (laughs) Doing well, thank you. 
Awesome. Um, we don't have any callers. We do have a bunch of emails, but Jennifer raised a phenomenal topic, which has been coming up in the B team and also via private message, it sounds like, about school vacations and parenting during school vacations <laughs> and how to uh, make that uh, <laughs> uh, an, an easier task as possible. As I, I live in New Hampshire, I just came off of vacation last week and we were away and my challenging four-year-old uh, was just that, especially the last two days as um, he just didn't sleep as well and he really needs to, and that contributed to um, a difficult last couple days of vacation. But um, <laughs> So I'm right there with many of you. Um, so where do you want to start, Jennifer, with this? Um, do you, you want to weigh in first and we'll sort of tag team and Stella jump in? Sure. Well, I was just, you know, my, my feeling is it, it's something that I think we've all experienced at one time or another. I've, I've made no secret about the fact that the explosive child was my vacation reading when we went to Disney when my son was <laughs> not quite five. Someone gifted us that trip, and I thought, oh, God, I don't want to go. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. and, and found the explosive child. So, you know, his whole life vacation was, was a challenge. Uh, but... I've found that just like at home, one of one of my rules in general is I don't plan more. It's the one thing rule. I don't plan more than one thing in a day. If we're going to do this, then everything else is, is sort of off the table. That it works well when we look at vacation like that, too. Uh, a lot of times I think people get in their heads, especially if they're going away somewhere, that feeling that we paid for this, we have to get every single thing out of it that we can. And Mm -hmm. what ends up happening is that the pressure builds up and the anxiety builds up and everyone's out of routine and you're sleeping in a strange place. And no one has as much fun as they would if you just let yourself lower your expectations to start with. Uh, but which can be a very difficult thing to do. <laughs> yeah. But That's I have talked myself of off the the expectation ledge for vacation a bunch of times. And when I can do it, we end up having a much better time. Yeah. So I have a friend that, here, you know. that quoted a uh, I have a friend that quoted an author and I can't remember who the author is uh right now. But there's a fantastic quote that says, expectations are resentments waiting to happen. <laughs> I like it. And, you know, we did the same here. We um, ended up visiting beautiful Miami, but that was not the original plan. The original plan was to go out west, and it was going to involve, you know, Yellowstone National Park and all kinds of hiking and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I looked at my husband and I said, that is a great vacation plan for you and I. Neither of our <laughs> kids like hiking. Um, in yeah. fact, it's going to be miserable. Let's, like, let's play this out, you know, because he's not a relaxed kind of guy on vacation. He's a do things and, like you said, get to everything you possibly can because <laughs> we've never been here before and we might not come back. Yep. Right? And so when we walked mm-hmm. it through, we did exactly what you said and adjusted our expectations and said that's not a trip for now. It's maybe a trip in a couple of years, um, but it is not mm-hmm. a trip for now, even though it sounded fantastic, right? So then we planned a lower key 
excursion to Miami, still doing things, but doing a lot of beach and pool time. And that's where we had no behavior at all at the beach and at the pool. There was no behavior, right? (laughs) Behavior came when we were trying to get him out the door early because we wanted to drive somewhere, right? And he doesn't like to get out the door early. He likes to stay in his jammies. He likes to play with his toys. He, you know, so you can see these trains coming, right? You can, you know, you're going to solve problems ahead of time, right? So, you know, you get as proactive as you can um, by either adjusting expectations or making plans for some of these unsolved problems because there is some, you know, you don't have to kind of plan see everything so that it is your child's vacation and nobody else is happy, right? And so we had a lot of conversations about we're going to do some things you guys are really thrilled about. We're going to do some things we're thrilled about, and it's going to be a balance, and we can talk it through what's hard for you and you're worried about being bored or whatnot, um, and we can – make plans around that and you can bring toys where, you know, whatever it was. And so, and for the most part, it helped us to have a pretty successful week until the, the, the sleep deprivation. I didn't actually know that was going to happen because we had planned to be low key enough to have naps and all that. But the issue was he just, he didn't sleep well on the bed he had like it. And I didn't realize that could happen. You can't plan for that. Yeah, right. I didn't know. So that that messed up on us, and I, you know, I just looked at our, my husband. I was like, he sleeps deprived. The kid came home when we came home. His first nap home was nearly four hours, and this kid yeah. is over four years old. He hasn't done that in almost two years. So I, you know, and then he became a much sweeter version of himself again. Yeah. So, um, but so you. You adjust expectations, you, uh, you know, you do proactive plan B for the things you can see that you don't, coming, that you don't want to plan C, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and uh, keep an open conversation about it, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and you have to be, I think, the, the best thing to do when you see things starting to travel down that, that path that, ends up with everybody feeling unhappy uh you know you have to you have to find a way in your head to let go of that expectation in the moment okay this is not going to work a lot of the times <laughs> and that's hard to do it's so hard to do especially when you've planned on it and you've traveled somewhere to do it and but that's hard if you can mm-hmm. take if you can take a second take a breath and remind yourself Forcing this isn't going to help. <laughs> yeah, you might end right. up with a better vacation. So, oh. I have a, a, a practical suggestion mm-hmm. that has come out of the um, reality that we have now: a 17-year-old um, autistic, mm. almost almost legal adult that is starting to learn the skills to fly by himself so that mom and dad don't wow. need to fly out to Utah every single time to go get him. Um, wow. And oh, wow. The reason, yeah, right? <laughs> so, um, but the, the resource that I didn't realize was available until my husband went to the TSA director at the, the huge Salt Lake City International Airport before his first flight with, with Aiden, um, this was back uh, before Christmas. 
Todd went to the, asked the TSA officers for who was the manager or the director of their, you know, of the um, program there. And the person that he spoke with said that TSA nationwide has a branch called TSA CARES, C-A-R-E-S. And I have a 1-800 yeah. number, and I'll put it onto the B team so that all the parents um, know that this is a free resource. What it is, you call the 1-800 number, and there's a very, very competent, well-trained TSA agent that takes your information about yourself or the person you're traveling with that has a neurodiverse um, uh, diagnosis that could present issues going through security, especially at a busy airport where there's a lot of pressure. Um, there's no limitation on diagnosis or on age. So this is for families with young children. Uh, this is for teenagers that have a diagnosis. This is for adults, elderly. Um, and what they do is they set up a specifically trained TSA officer to meet you when you're ready to go through security and offer assistance. And what that wow. looks like for my son is this officer who was very chill and easygoing basically walked Aiden through the long line. Didn't they, he didn't stand for a minute in the long line going into regular uh, TSA check. Um, walked him through every step of the way. He did everything. He even had a pat down. Um, and the officer was there alongside him, talking him through it, and came out the other side, and he was 100% fine. Wow. Wow. Good so, to know. I, yeah. And this, <laughs> yeah, I had this no idea. <laughs> yep, TSA cares, and um, they are excellent. They have different airports handle it differently. So within 15 minutes of me calling the 800 number, um, a representative, it's called the passenger assistance representative. They, the, the representative from the Kansas City airport called me immediately asking for a rundown, you know, double-checking the, the flight date, um, the, my child's age, what some suggestions were, things like that. The Salt Lake City airport sent me an email with a phone number to call when the passenger was ready to head towards security. And within minutes when I called, the officer that was, that was in place for him was available. So it's a fantastic mm -hmm. resource. Talk about being proactive, eh? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and That's not having wonderful. to do it all alone. <laughs> I, thank you for sharing that. That is fantastic. Um, Let's see. We don't have callers. I'm just going to give our call-in number one more time, and then we have plenty of emails to dive into. Um, call-in number is 347-994-2981 if you have a question. Uh, otherwise, ladies, we're going to jump into some emails, if that works for you. Sure. Um, this, is, this email uh, a little bit hit home for me, so it's going to be the one that I'm going to pick first. Um, Hi, Dr. Green. The title of your book explains my three-year-old son to a T. When behavioral challenges arise, he's explosive, easily frustrated, and inflexible. It was so bad that two preschools, private ones, suggested, quote, he wasn't ready. 
As you accurately describe in your book, he's not like this all the time. He can be very loving, appropriately energetic, precocious, and a humorous child. I say all this to say I was excited to read your book, and the chapter just flew by because it was validating and intuitive. It really helped me to reframe these challenges in terms of lagging skills and unsolved problems. After completing the ALSIP and prioritizing, I was excited to move on to the plan section. Uh, I think she means solving problems. However, I got stuck with plan B. I'm really not sure how to apply the three steps to my three-year-old. He's intelligent and highly verbal for his age, but I think it's a stretch to ask him open-ended questions, such as, I've noticed that it's been difficult to change your pull-up before bedtime. What's up? I'm not sure how to gather data from him. I'm also not sure what a collaboration would look like. Um, let's see. She says a few things about the book here. Um, I'd really like to implement this plan if I can, but I'm not sure where to go from here. So I, I do want to start with this one, and then, ladies, please jump in. But I want to first address the piece uh, before we get into helping troubleshoot plan B here. The part about the two preschools suggesting that he wasn't ready. I, I want to say <laughs> that I feel very sorry and sad that this was um, this family's experience. Um, I want you to know that we're working very hard to um, change what happens uh, in schools, including preschools. Um, you know, uh, I've seen firsthand the um, effect that uh, – that not being welcome at preschool can have on a child and their family. And it's something that we are incredibly passionate about. Um, that being said, we also feel very strongly that preschools need the resources and the knowledge to be able to um, handle a, a diverse set of students. And so um, I just want to say that. Um, as far as troubleshooting plan B with three of us, you know, I think you're right. Probably the open-ended question thing isn't going to go so well. Um, I was reflecting on a recent plan B I had with my son, um, who's four, and also very verbal and very intelligent, but can't necessarily use his words to answer open-ended questions. But I have to tell you, recently, this was just a couple of weeks ago, he, 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 this was the first time he provided verbal feedback during a plan B, because usually it's nonverbal, which is still useful, just not as useful, right? So usually I would take <laughs> guesses with him. Could it be this? Do you think it's that? And he would just shake his head yes or no. That's how he gives me feedback, right? But he actually said words. So he told me um, that at school he had to go sit in the library because he mixed the paint colors, and sitting in the library is a nice way of saying he went to timeout. So it is a very nice plan A intervention. And he said, um, he said, then I went back to the art project, and he's telling me he mixed the colors again, and I had to go to the library again. <laughs> and I said, huh. Uh, well, so that, you know, that tells me, which I already knew, it didn't work. The library right? so, is so effective. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I said, what's hard about not mixing those colors? So I say that out loud, buying myself time to, like, make guesses, because I wasn't there, so I don't have observations to help me with my guesses. So I was buying myself a little time, and I did not expect him to say anything useful, and he did. He said, <laughs> I didn't know how not to mix the colors. And I was like, you just gave me information with words. Yes. 
you know, it makes wow. my job a lot easier because now my guesses are not um, just coming out of left field, which just takes a little bit longer, um, but it's totally fine to do. And, you know, and that was like, oh, okay, you didn't get how not to do it. And going to library didn't tell you how to not do it, right? Um, so I was just jumping for joy because I got some information with words. Just makes the process perhaps a little bit faster. But um, I think taking guesses as the partner and, um, you know, looking for nonverbal cues, you know, when he was real young, his biggest nonverbal cues was that he stopped crying <laughs> when I guessed correctly, <laughs> right? And then uh, we moved on to, to head shaking. Um, what do you guys have to add for this mom? <laughs> We didn't, I wish that we had started when I first read the book, but I wasn't quite there yet mentally. I was still stuck on the idea that his behavior had to have consequences because that's what everybody told me. Um, But even as he got older, and even I sometimes, when I'm feeling dysregulated in my head, it's still difficult for me sometimes to come out and express what's going on. Um, And I've often said that when we first started using uh, plan B in our house, a lot of our, our conversations, our drilling conversations took place with my son under a blanket with all of his stuff piled up on top of him and one hand sticking out so that we could do the five finger method. Uh, So, (laughs) because that's how he felt safe to communicate. He didn't have to look at me. He didn't have to give me any other cues. Um, He just had to show me how many fingers he wanted to show me. Um, That it is hard work, and people feel a lot of times, especially when they're just starting out, that it shouldn't be that hard. (laughs) But it's going to be that hard, and the more you do it, the less hard it becomes because the better I found the better my guesses got, the more I started to actually follow how his brain worked, the better I got at guessing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the less That's difficult a good point. it became. So yeah. it it's so hard in the beginning and it feels like it's way harder than it should be. But persevere. My answer is similar to Jennifer's and the, from the sense that um, I didn't, I wasn't introduced to the model until my son was nine and a half. So when, when he was three, two or three years old um, and his, his speaking was not quite up to par, had I had the model, um, things would have been really different. <laughs> going forward but you know the i i keep thinking about the the unsolved problem that this parent offers up here where we have i've noticed that it's been difficult to change or pull up before bedtime um so if if that's the lead-in to the drilling that that's not quite uh opening up a collaboration or a conversation with her little one, um, then perhaps 
the difficult to change or pull up before bedtime is even too too big. You know what? If uh, if we bring that down even another level, um, and then for this parent to um, understand, like you said, Kim, the the nonverbal cues that are showing um, showing her that she's on the right path towards finding out what's getting in his way. You know, so I I don't know how that could look with a pull up. But uh, I have an idea that about that, actually. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. I had an idea about that. I do think it's a very well-worded unsolved problem, but if it feels yeah. too big, you could just go with last night. I've noticed it was yeah. difficult to change your pull-up before bed last night. So now the two of you are only thinking about last night. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that you'll necessarily get all the information in this conversation because it might have been different when it happened Friday night versus last night, Monday night, right? But it's a, it's a starting point, right? And yeah. having observations because you were there, what would, what, you know, I would say, like, what would make that hard? Hmm. Oh, you were watching your show. Was it hard exactly. to end your show? You know, or that would be a guess, you know. Or I might guess, is it something about how the pull-up feels? Is it something about um, being anxious to go read the book? Like, all the different things. I mean, you, you see you're coming out of left field a little bit, but you do have some observations about what was it going on in the environment before, after, during, that you can just start to make some guesses and see what he says. He can do thumbs up, thumbs down. He could nod his head yes or no. If, um, and I know he has a lot of words, so he might prefer some sort of verbal feedback, but some kids would, you know, point to the elephant toy if I'm right, point to the giraffe toy if I'm wrong. <laughs> Right. That's another way right. to do it with little ones. So yeah. um, the red ball. Green but I think ball. you know. Yeah. 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 I, I do like remember, even though I didn't. Oh no! I do. I I do remember, even though I wasn't introduced the model when my oldest son was uh, in pull-up stage and potty training. Um, I remember. Um, him disapproving very much of the of the cartoon characters that would show up if he did wet his pull up. So we were using whatever brand had um, when when he peed in his pull up, you would see SpongeBob SquarePants or whatever. Um, and unbeknownst to me, my son had an aversion to all things Nickelodeon. Um, and then when I went to the cheap, yeah, I know. When I went to the cheap generic diapers from uh, Big Lots that would start out with Bugs Bunny and Bugs Bunny would disappear when he peed, it was fine. But if it was the one that had a Nickelodeon character, not good. And um, I I didn't ask him about this. This is just something I noticed from his meltdowns, right? Um, yep. So, and then years later, I found out from him when he was able to explain to me if he had an aversion for Nickelodeon. So, <laughs> that is, is a beautiful a example of, of what you said about yeah. learning how their brain works, right? That is absolutely <laughs> beautiful. Boy, do I enjoy talking I, with you, ladies. It's amazing to me how, especially in the beginning, the what was standing in his way was so often so very far off from what I thought was standing in his way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is like what you said, it takes time, but man, is it time well spent. And then as you get to understand how their brain works, 
it gets a bit easier. So stick with it. And um, I'd say to this mom, check back in with us. Give these things a try. Check back in. Let us know how it's going. Uh, Let's see. No callers, but we have lots more um, emails and messages. So let's try this one on. All right. Let's go to a slightly older kid here. I have two sons, ages 10 and 13. And I've recently been struggling with when to push my kids to try an activity, trying, meaning trying new things, taking on an old hobby, et cetera, and when to let it go. I've used the plan B approach, and I know I can influence them with my response and concerns. When they still do not agree that they want to try or do something that I know they'll have a blast once they do it, for example, skiing, they did it before and had fun, but now they're coming up with minor excuses, I feel sad that they miss out on a great activity that can be used to connect as a family again. What do you guys think? I started last time. Does one of you want to start, or I'm happy to? You let me know. (laughs) Well, the thing that strikes me about this is that the expectation here is to connect as a family again. Mm -hmm. The end of that sentence. So um, knowing what I know um, about following this model, uh, it seems to me like it might be worthwhile for this parent to lay out what they're expecting as far as um, connecting as a family. Um, and just like what we were talking about with vacation, you know, you, a, a vacation that includes hiking is a great vacation for the, the husband and the wife, the spouses, but not necessarily for the family. So start at the point where um, what's the what's the realistic expectation with the hand that you've been dealt to connect as a family and list those out and begin there. Great place to start. Um, I was also struck by the when the skiing example. I think is really helpful, and I appreciate. Um, the uh, emailer adding that in because that kind of brings things live for me. Um, They did it before and had fun, but now they're coming up with minor excuses. So it sounds like plan B, which maybe would start with, um, you seem to be difficult, you seem to be having difficulty um, trying skiing again with the family, what's up, right? And it sounds like they're giving some information, but it feels minor to the parent, right? And so um, a couple things about this. One, it might not be to them, and it might be worth solving those um, to meet your expectation of them um, not missing out on fun and connecting with the family, right, which was probably how mm-hmm. you word step two when you're ready to go there, according to what um, we have here, <coughs> excuse me, for information. But also, if you're feeling like what they're giving you for information isn't high quality, it means just drilling more. Maybe they don't have the words to put it into, and so maybe taking some guesses. Because, again, even with kids who are very verbal, taking guesses, five fingers or another version of that to fit their age is a useful thing for your partner, you as the partner, to do, right? Um, you also have, if that's not the issue, right, and you feel like you're getting low-quality information that doesn't fit what you know and what you've observed, you have that drilling strategy of discrepant observation, which means there's a discrepancy between what your child is telling you and what you've seen. And so 
Uh, I always say discrepant observation is the trickiest drilling strategy. Um, I always pause even I'm near 20 years into this model, right? And I, to this day, I pause before I use discrepant observation because I need to make sure it's not going to come across as liar, liar, pants on fire. You know, that <laughs> neutral, non-judgmental air of curiosity that plan B requires needs to be fully present. And I always pair discrepant observation with a reminder that this is not plan A. So something like, um, say the kids, say one of the kids is saying they um, they don't want to go because they are worried about being cold, and say I have information that the last time they went they actually were very warm, right? And so um, there's a discrepancy here, and I'm instead of being mad at that, I want to get curious, and I really want to understand, right? And so I might mm-hmm. say something like, um, remember, like you're not in trouble, no one's mad here. Uh, I am curious to know, because I hear you're saying you might be cold, and I'm remembering last time you were saying that you were warm and you had to take layers off. So fill me in. What's the difference here? Like what, yeah. you know, I'm missing information yeah. to make this make sense, right? Um, yeah. So that's kind of where I would go, you know, between using different drilling strategies, taking guesses if you're not, they're not able to use the words, right? Um, and uh, discrepant observation can be really helpful if there's a discrepancy between what they're saying and what you've seen. Anything to add to that one? Well, I, we've had this exact conversation in my house <laughs> nice. about this exact same topic. Uh, and one of the things that was occurring to me as I was listening to both of you is that this is one of those moments where I have to remind myself not to use plan A and plan B close. That mm-hmm. the the point of the conversation when I'm saying, hey, you know, you're 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 going skiing this weekend. And I'm getting back, no, I don't really want to. And I know that he'll have fun if he just can get himself out the door and there. The point of our conversation is not for me to be empathetic and then find a way to convince him to do what I think he ought to do. And I know that that doesn't work because he now understands the process enough I think I've I've told you before that he calls plan B the concerns thing because we all get to talk about our concerns. And he'll say, we're not doing the concerns thing. We're just talking about what you want me to do. And I love it. Yeah. That's not, that that very rarely works. (laughs) It's, It's kind and empathetic plan A and it's meant to, try to make him feel better about me plan A-ing him into going, but it's still plan A. And you know, my concerns may be you have spent the past three weekends in a row on your computer and I would really like to see you get some exercise and you know, be you know, and we were going to do something fun as a family. The solution might be something other than we go skiing. But if I go into that conversation Mm -hmm. thinking we're going to do this so that we all get in the car and go skiing this weekend, that's not a plan B conversation. I'm going into it as a means to get to my solution. 
Yeah. Very and that's well a hard said, thing. Cause that's it. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it very a hard difficult thing to, to do, recognize sure. that you're doing that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, Which is why it's real important, like you said, how you would word step two, your concerns. You, in your example, it was, you know, worried about you getting exercise and us doing something as a family, right? Which right. had right. been mm-hmm. met without skiing, right? In this right. Right. parent's example, I'm worried about you missing out on fun things and I'd like us to connect as a family can be done without skiing. So, and right. in the way that started off, too, was skiing was an example. There are other things it sounds like, right? And so it sounds yep. like, yeah, there might be other ways that meet those two pieces of the adult concern that are not exactly skiing. And, and, and I love that point that you make. That is spot on yeah. for sure. Mm. Awesome. Yep. And, Great. And it's, it's really fun when your kid starts calling you on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's a testament to the phenomenal job you've done, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Aiden got really good at calling us out on it. Aiden would say, "Mom, that's Plan A and B clothing. Don't don't even go there with me." You know. (laughs) Well, right, we're right back to where we started today. Expectations are resentments under construction. That's the quote in its author Anne Lamott. Ah, There you go. Resentments under construction. So clarifying the expectation, you know, it's just like (laughs) with screen time. We talk about this in every family. This looks different. And the the framing of the expectation for the family needs to begin with the grown-ups and understanding Mm -hmm. that depending on how that expectation for family time is to be spent, um, you know, there might be some consequences with behavior if one or more of the kids don't have the skills station. So it's, it's really important that the, that the grown-ups take a look at that and make the decisions based on the hands that they've been built. Yes, Absolutely. I think in our, we have about six minutes left, but I think we can take this one more email on if you guys don't mind. Um, something sure. we've talked about a lot, we're asked about a lot. Um, good evening, Dr. Green. I hope you're doing well. I have two children. My son will be nine next week. My daughter's age seven. My, it's my son who displays challenging behavior from a young age, diagnosed with autism a few years ago. Read Lost at School, found the method and research refreshing, completely makes sense for the long-term benefit. I have a question regarding how you promote handling challenging behavior in the moment. I know it is best to preempt this and to use plan B, but sometimes it happens when we're out somewhere. I always come back to discuss it using plan B when we're safely home to reduce the likelihood of it reoccurring, but we have a lot (laughs) of unsolved problems to work through. And I struggle to know the right thing to do in the actual moment that we are getting hurt. I tend to favor leaving the room and, when possible, waiting for him to calm down, but this isn't possible when we're out. I'd love to know the official stance on how to react to this situation. (laughs) The official stance. (laughs) Yes. I have at least four calls from years ago where I asked this very question. (laughs) And I'll, I'll never forget just feeling like, really, this is so common sense. Why, why didn't I know? 
and I, whatever it was that happened out in public, I think it had to do with me insisting that Aiden hold the door at Starbucks open for me and let me go first. When, of course, he was like, mm. you know, <clears throat> 10 years old. So Doug Green says, well, now that it's happened once, it's predictable. Mm. Now it's predictable. Okay. So yeah. now you have something that you can proactively address if this is something that you feel is high on your priority list. Yep. You know, and then as far as the in the moment thing, well, the, the best, the best advice is diffuse, de-escalate, and keep everybody safe. Yep. Yep. Right. And then once you're past the moment, then you go back and say, hey, you know, when you had a really hard time when we were leaving Starbucks and I asked you to hold the door. <laughs> what was going on? <laughs> yep. <sighs> Well, yeah, and I, think, I love yep. and I think we've all had that moment. Oh, and well, not to mention the pressure of onlookers, right? And oh, so, right. It makes it definitely, you know, making yeah, tuning that out <laughs> and writing yourself so that you can stay calm and communicate to your child that everything's okay, so that you can mm-hmm. diffuse and deescalate and keep everybody safe. Um, but yeah, yep. when it happens once, it is predictable, and it sounds like there's a lot of unsolved problems to work on. And I just want to give the plug that let's make sure they're all collected on an ALSIP, and that way, <laughs> you know, you can't you can't plan B everything, right? You can't fix everything all at once. Right. So you've got your high priorities. What you're not working on, that's what Plan C is for. So Plan C right. might be avoiding the situation if it's possible or band-aiding mm-hmm. it if it's not possible in some agreed-upon sort of workaround plan. You know, like yep. if, you, if you need to go to uh, the grocery store and your child needs to come with you and there's no way to not have the child come, then agreed-upon band-aid plan could be, you know, are you able to sit with a snack um, in the car or whatever it might be, you know. Like yep. we're not teaching anything, but we're avoiding all the things that could come up um, which is a perfectly fine proactive plan C. Um, it's about yeah. it's about prioritizing, right? Eventually, you will work on the unsolved problems associated going with the grocery store. Um, but plan C is your big time friend. Yes. Before I yeah. have the language from CPS, we used to talk a lot about how can we do this and not set ourselves up to fail, not set him up to fail. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know that what we were doing was plan C, but that's really what it was, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and the diffuse, de-escalate, keep everybody safe, you know, doing emergency A in the moment is not going to help you do that. But connecting with your nope. child, you staying calm, you know, letting them know you get they're having a hard time. It's okay. They're doing the best they can. We will figure it out right now. Let's just get you feeling better, you know, and whatever you're able to do in the being out situation, um, you know, whether that's let's listen to music in the car, let's, whatever it might be um, that helps kind of get them back to baseline. That's all you can really do. There is not um, any magic, you know, uh, but it sounds like like, it sounds like this mom does understand that being proactive is the best way to not find yourself in that moment, right? And so um, thorough alphabet, liberal use of plan C, and if you do find yourself there, staying calm so that you can just diffuse and keep everybody safe. Yep. 
And, and if you sure. do plan A, because I think that we've all had moments where, you know, the pressure hits us and we plan A in that moment, that doesn't mean that you've undone all the positive work that you did with that one plan A moment. You can recover from that. <laughs> there, there, yes, that doesn't can. mean that you're done. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that your child hates you. And it doesn't mean, no matter what they say, <laughs> and it doesn't mean that you're a terrible parent. It means that you couldn't do well in that moment either. And right. so you come off of it and you recover and you, you know, sometimes that plan B conversation looks like what could mom have done differently in that moment oh, to make sure. you not feel so, so unhappy. We've got to oh, own our sure. And that actually brings us to the end of our program. I, I <laughs> want to thank you both for being on today. We'll be back next month with another episode of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Be sure to join us then. And thanks so much for listening. And thanks to Jennifer and Stella. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>